Welcome to Charlotte Reader's Podcast, where authors give voice to their written words. This is the show where we meet Charlotte area authors and those who visit the Queen City, and we hear them read their work. Support for Charlotte Reader's Podcast is provided by Park Road Books, the oldest and only independent bookstore in Charlotte, conveniently located in Park Road Shopping Center. And by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence. For more information about these book-minded sponsors who help authors give voice to their written words, please visit them online at parkroadbooks.com and cmlibrary.org or drop by the bookstore or any library branch. In today's episode, we preview what's coming in Season 4, which starts September 3rd, 2019 and runs weekly through December 3rd. We also have prose and poetry readings from two guests and a published piece by your host, me, Landis Waite. Joining me in the Advent Coworking Studio today to kick off Season 4 and share their writing are two local writers, Pam Turner and Serby Kashik. Pam describes herself on Instagram as a writer, meditator, library nerd, community builder taking one day at a time. She's a published poet, works for Charlotte McMurray Library, and leads Write Like You Mean It, a weekly creative writing group at the main library. She shares poetry and thoughts on Instagram under the name PMT underscore poetry. Serby describes herself as an avid reader, nature lover, and a compulsive writer, not necessarily in the same order. She worked for more than 10 years in the Indian advertising industry as a copywriter, but now draws much of her energy from writing poetry, personal essays, and fiction, and conducting fiction writing workshops with Charlotte Mecklenburg Library. Links to her published work appear at serbywritersmind.blogspot.com. And since I butchered all that, their writing links and other information about the authors in this episode, as well as a complete list of the authors and when they will appear in Season 4, will be in the show notes for this episode at charlottereaderspodcast.com. In fact, pretty much everything you need to know about the podcast can be found at the website. As for this episode, we have two other things planned, and the focus is reading and writing. The first two pieces that Pam and Serby read come from Beautiful Truth, a gathering of voices from Charlotte, North Carolina. As part of Charlotte Lit's 2019 Beautiful Truth Initiative, which we plan to discuss on the show. Also, my guests are well positioned to talk about writing opportunities at Charlotte Mecklenburg Library. We'll dive into that topic as well. Now, it's hard to believe that this is the launch of season four, a season that will include another 15 episodes, counting this one, and involve another 18 authors. The podcast is not yet a year old, and this is the 49th episode. If you've been a regular listener, you know that what I've said before is true. We have a lot of really talented authors in and around the Charlotte area and throughout the state. We've released episodes highlighting 48 authors, plus the two in this episode. And it's been my privilege to hear them read their work and discuss with them some of their most innermost thoughts about their work and their writing lives. As we move to season four, just a few quick words about the format of the show going forward. You may notice a few tweaks here and there, such as the voice you heard at the top of the show, and which you will hear again in a few moments. It's the voice of Sarah Vavra, a friend and former radio personality, who graciously shared her talent with the podcast. I thought it might help to break things up a bit and have more than one voice talking about our wonderful sponsors and sharing information about the podcast. Thank you, Sarah. The remaining structure of the show will be familiar. We'll stick with the core of the show, which is having authors read and talk about their work. We'll also continue with the mid-roll spots that relate to the theme of the show, such as highlighting books of interest 
and information relating to the writing and reading community. And we'll also continue with our Writing Life segment in the second half of the show, where authors open up about their writing processes and their writing lives. Now, whether you're on a walk right now or taking a ride or just sitting back and sipping your potion or cocktail of choice, we're grateful for your presence. Host Landis Wade is committed to making this podcast worth your time. He's a recovering trial lawyer, award-winning author, book and dog lover, whose laid-back style encourages authors to read and talk about their published and emerging works. These are the stories that touch the emotions, followed by conversations that offer depth and insight into the readings and writing lives of the authors. This show is recorded in the well-equipped podcast studio at Advent Coworking, right here in the Belmont community near Uptown Charlotte. But enough with the prologue. Let's get to the stories. I'm your host, Landis Wade. Thank you for listening. Pam, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Sir, be welcome. Thank you. Now, y'all are kind of, uh, you know, what what Forrest Gump might call two peas in a pod, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> y'all hang out a little bit together? Yeah, yes, yeah. Yes, we do a lot. And, and your home that you hang out at is the library, right? You talk about that in the piece you're going to read, uh, Serby, that you found a home at the library. That's correct. Yeah. So when you when the three of us met, I think it was about a year and a half ago at a Charlotte Lit event um, that they had at the end of the year at a – I think it's Winghaven, and y'all were, y'all were together there, too. Yes, we started talking about true. writing, right? You, <laughs> and you told me about one of your programs, Pam, that y'all do at the library called Write Like You Mean It. We're going to talk about that before the show's out, too. But um, y'all are pretty much invested in the writing community here in Charlotte, right? Yes. Yeah. For how long? Um, I started Write Like You Mean It about three and a half years ago, and I've been a writer before that, but just informally. So when we were looking for programs to reach out to customers in the library, it was natural that I thought maybe we could have a creative writing program. And I didn't know it would spin into such a success, but it's been a, a wonderful experience for me and for the writers. Yeah, and I look forward to talking about that with you. Um, but you're not, that wasn't your degree in college, right? No. Uh, Long, twisting path to here. And, but that's good. You were a liberal arts school at uh, Davidson College. I got I, I to throw a plug in there from my, my <laughs> alma But uh, your major there was? Music with music. vocal performance. Does that help you with your writing, you think? I think so. Yeah, yes. I think there's a rhythm and a feeling of, you know, pacing and meter that comes from that music background. Hmm. What was your instrument? Voice. Oh. Giving voice now to written words, right? Correct. <laughs> Servi, uh, you come from across the big pond, right? Yes. Yeah, two big ponds probably. <laughs> uh, you grew up in Bangalore? Yes, right? Bangalore. Before we begin with your first readings, um, I want to explain to our listeners how we're going to proceed today. This episode, which you helped me put on today, is our preview episode for season four. And rather than mentioning all the authors in all 14 episodes at once, I'm going to kind of sprinkle them in as we go so it's less like a list and we can do justice, you know, to each one. By the way, this is going, this season one episode is going to be the 50th episode of Charlotte Reader's Podcast. Can I get some applause here? That's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, how about that? (laughs) In less than a year, yeah. You've been busy. We have been busy. We, we, the person who does the editing, the guy who does the scheduling, the one who does, yeah, yeah, me, we, okay, whatever. Um, what do you think so far about this idea of podcasting 
what people have written. I love it. I yeah. love that you, as a writer, are reaching out to the other writers in the community and really showing people that we have these treasures right here. You don't mm-hmm. have to look to New York or Atlanta or anywhere right. else. We yeah. have a, a thriving community here in Charlotte. Yeah, and it is just that. I mean, there are, I, I sometimes like to talk about authors sort of hiding in plain sight, you know. You don't recognize them on the street, you know, any more than you recognize Sometimes even a best-selling author uh, who happens to live in here, we've had a lot of those on the show as well, who make their home uh, here in Charlotte. I think the weatherman is more noticeable, right, than, right. than, than the good <laughs> authors here. Uh, Serby, um, podcasting for you, what do you think? I think it's a great idea. I, I agree with Pam, and I appreciate what you're doing for the writing community, reaching out to people, bringing out, I mean, specifically local talent, I would say. Yeah, yeah, and we have, we've gotten a lot of Charlotte talent. We've also kind of... We've got this little exception for those that are listening. It's Charlotte area authors and those who visit the Queen City. So, which has brought in some regional authors. You know, we've gotten you know Raleigh, Durham, Greensboro. Um, it, just moving around the state, we're going to have some uh, from the western part of the state as well, and also down toward the coast. And as part of season four, so l- let's do this. I'm going to mention um, the authors. Uh, who are going to be in uh, the first three episodes, and then we're going to start with a reading from Serby. But uh, we're going to start out, our 50th episode is going to be um, with an author who uh, has done a lot of different type of writing. You wouldn't necessarily know him for that, but uh, but he has. Uh, Scott Fowler, um, many of you know him as uh, doing for sports coverage for the Charlotte Observer um, and for the nonfiction sports books he's written, but you might be surprised to know that he's also written a young adult book and that he co-wrote and starred in a true crime podcast that Sports Illustrated called The Best Podcast of 2018. It's the podcast about Ray Carruth, uh, the infamous Carolina Panther who hired a hitman to shoot his pregnant girlfriend. Um, Scott uh, is going to read from Panthers Rising, a book about the Panthers that and how they roared to Super Bowl 50. Um, but he's also going to read and discuss uh, Lost on the Road to Nowhere, which is his young adult adventure story and we're going to talk about the podcast as well we're going to actually play a clip um, that uh, McClatchy provided to me uh, from the podcast that includes an interview that Scott has with the actual hitman at Central Prison so I got a little true crime in the opening session as well Scott uh, has actually won a lot of awards for his uh, work uh, over the years his three award-winning stories in 2015 16 and 17 that made up the chance to release series um, got uh, many awards, and uh, as I said, his podcast, Caruth, was recognized by Sports Illustrated. The second episode of the season will feature, and this will be on uh, September the 10th, will feature Grace Acasio and Justin Hunt. Grace is a poet. Uh, Justin Hunt is a poet as well as a prose writer. They're going to explore themes of family and relationships, which appear in much of their writing. Justin reads several poems that speak to the past. He also reads a section from his memoir where he's driving across a rural landscape, no more travel now than it was a half century earlier, when he was a young boy in the back of his family's big fin Cadillac on the way to vacation in Colorado. Grace reads poems inspired by her mother in the time when Rosa Parks took a seat, her great aunt, who could overturn injustice like a mother right-sizing an upside-down child and a grandmother whose scrapbook revealed a letter of her youth from an unknown admirer. 
Grace starts with a poem called Fall Festival, inspired by family hayrides at harvest time, and Justin starts with a poem called Afternoon on Slate Creek. It captures the mood of a father and son together on a low bank, fishing poles in hand, bobber on the float. Now, our third uh, episode uh, of season four, which will release on September the 17th, is Martin Clark. This was a live podcast that we did at Park Road Books in July. Um, Martin Clark is a retired Virginia Circuit Court judge who spends legal thrillers with a twist, and he knows a thing or two about the legal system and the lawyers and the defendants who, by choice or circumstance, are wrapped up in it. He's been praised by Entertainment Weekly as our best legal thriller writer, and his latest book, The Substitution Order, is the focus of that episode. In a recent review by the New York Times, Alifar Burke says the substitution order is not merely a good legal thriller, it's a great one. Clark cleverly weaves together a truly thrilling ending. And I read, of course, I read all the books and uh, all the stories and poems that people have on the show, but really got caught up in this one, um, read it pretty quickly with my legal background. I was sort of amazed that uh, I couldn't figure it out <laughs> until, until the very end. He, he, did a, he did a good job with that. He's got four previous novels, the Jezebel Remedy, The Legal Limit, Plain Heathen Mischief, and The Many Aspects of Mobile Home Living. Um, he's been called a thinking man's John Grisham and sometimes a drinking man's John Grisham. So, <laughs> so we've got that. So those are the, those are the uh, first three. Um, we're going to shift back now and provide uh, our listeners with uh, some of your great work. Uh, the two pieces that y'all are going to read first, uh, Pam and Serby, uh, have something in common. Um, I want to talk about that for a second. Your first piece, Serby, is called? Home Away From Home. Home Away From Home. And as I understand, you wrote this piece sort of about your experience of you know, being in a new place, right? Charlotte was a new place for you? Yes. Uh, talk, talk about that. So I've moved, we've moved uh, to the United States in the year 2015. So I'm very new to this country. Just moved from India. And Charlotte is, like I mentioned in my piece, the city that I've lived the longest. We were in Raleigh for the beginning, for the first 10 months. And then my husband got a job here in Bank of America, and that's why we are in Charlotte. So now Charlotte is my new home. Okay. Well, um, if you would, uh, how about reading your piece to us? Sure. A home away from home. Charlotte has been my home for three years now. It's the city that I have lived in for the longest time after I moved from my home country, India. I still remember my first day here. The Uber driver driving me from the train station to my apartment complex. In the short drive, she narrated the story of why Charlotte is called the Queen City and the reason for downtown being called as Uptown. I was fascinated by the ease with which she held the conversation and the sparkle in her eyes, indicative of her fresh and light-hearted spirit. I thought there was no better way to be welcomed into the Queen City. In my initial days of settling into Charlotte, I struggled to understand the Southern accent and was faced with the daunting task of making friends out of unfamiliar faces. But on the upside, I fell in love with the gorgeous weather and friendly people. I found my way easily walking around uptown, allowing myself to be swept in the sea of office goers, dressed in business suits, wearing serious faces 
and buried into their phones. Sometimes my smile was returned by far more beautiful ones, and at other times people walked past me as though I did not exist. Romier Bearden Park was my favorite spot for pictures, short walks admiring the lush greenery or sitting by the waterfall. Being a writer, it was no surprise that I walked into the library during the first week in Charlotte. I happily drowned myself in the world of books, writing groups and workshops within and outside of the library. I discovered things that helped me to write better, met amazing writers who challenged and supported my writing in ways that I had never imagined. Within the first few months of being here, I became part of a rich, diverse, warm and welcoming writing community. Now, three years later, I've learned a lot about the city, but still love the same things about it. Skyscrapers glowing in fancy colors, bringing the night alive. Cakes and pastries from Omelis, which never disappoints. Never bored of taking pictures with a sparkly bird. Admiring the animals carved from stone at First Ward Park. Watching trees create rainbows from the blooms in spring. Meeting nice people with hearts of gold to whom kindness comes naturally. And the writing community which has given me a sense of belonging and more reasons to love Charlotte. All right, so maybe that's a wonderful piece. Thank you. Yeah, the Chamber of Commerce is going to want to put that out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, everything, everything's great here. Uh, and so you're saying the cab driver narrated the story of why Charlotte is called the Queen City. Yeah. Yes, she did. Because she has to look at the statue at the airport. <laughs> but also gave you the reason for downtown being up to i've never figured out the reason did, did, did what, what was their reason I, I don't remember too much of it yeah. but i do uh -huh. know that she said that everything was uphill everything was uphill that's okay that's what she said she <laughs> said the whole area is like that yeah i guess that's as good excuse as any right yeah everything's uphill now that they got the skyscrapers on the top skyscrapers of the hill, on right? the top. um yeah, you talk about uh pam what are your thoughts here i mean this is you you were you were here in this area long before Serbia. When you read this piece, uh, was it a familiar place to you? Yes, I guess um, my view of Charlotte is maybe not as rosy as that. Right. Uh, you know, I see um, some other sides of it. Mm -hmm. um, Which you're going to speak to in your, your poem in a second. But it is true that uh, Romeo Beer Park is a beautiful place. Yes. Great, great spot for pictures. The weather, although it's kind of humid, now right, right now yeah um and people are for the most part pretty friendly right i can't i can sympathize since i was one of those people that was walking down the street sometimes with my head buried in my phone and <laughs> trying to get from one meeting to the next but uh, now that i don't have to do that it's nice to walk around uptown right yeah so do you still have the same feeling about charlotte after three years like i mentioned this is really the only city that i've lived in the united states for such a long time so yeah yeah so talk to me a little bit, uh, Serbi, about this idea of finding a home at the library. You go in the main branch of the library, you go into different branches, you see some of the same people there again and again, which kind of gives you a feeling of home, right? Like your familiar faces. Well, how did it feel like home to you? So in 2016, which was our first year in Charlotte, uh, I walked into the library and then I saw the sign for Write Like You Mean It. And I 
said, okay, this is the group that I want to be part of. So I made a note. I went back on the Thursday, met with Pam, and then I attended the first session of the writing group. I said, okay, this is nice. I mean, she gives us prompts. She gives us time to write. You know, there were snacks and coffee. And I was bringing, <laughs> That's the I important was, part, right? Yeah, yeah snacks and coffee. Part, yes. Yeah, and then... Then you went on to start leading workshops yourself. Yeah. Yes, I initially I started volunteering with Pam. I still volunteer with her for Write Like You Mean It. I, I like the workshop. I like the the model so much. It worked so well for me that I said I want to volunteer for this group, and Pam was happy to have me. I think <laughs> she was like, yeah, she's happy, and I had a lot of ideas because I've been in the advertising field. I've been in the writing field for a while, so there were a lot of there was a selfish reason also I think for volunteering because there were a lot of things that I wanted to do through the group, because uh, I'm on a visa which does not permit me to do anything but volunteering right now. I'm on something called a dependent visa. So mm. I'm dependent on my husband's visa. And so I cannot work, I cannot go to school. So that is why the library, the writing group in particular, Write Like You Mean It, gave me a sense of belonging, gave me a sense of identity. Mm which I think was very important to me because mm -hmm. as, a, as, a, as an immigrant fresh off the boat, mm -hmm. it's a great country, but I'm not allowed to do as much as I want to do because I have restrictions because of my visa. Well, fortunately, your visa cannot restrict what you say in a written piece <laughs> and what gets published, right? I think, <laughs> That's yes. right. They, they hadn't figured out how to be a gatekeeper there yet. And, our, and thank, <laughs> thank, thankfully, uh, you know, our Constitution... Uh, would support uh, squelling that anyway. So, all right, well, before we shift to uh, Pam's reading uh, of her poem in the Beautiful Truth Initiative, I'll talk to you about the uh, authors that are coming uh, in episodes four, five, and six of season four. On September 24th, um, best-selling author Mary Beth Whalen reads from and discusses her recent book, Only Ever Her, a novel that pulls a town apart in search of a young bride-to-be. Mary Beth is the author of Only Ever Her, When We Were Worthy, The Things We Wished Were True, and five previous novels. She speaks to children's groups around the U.S. and is the co-founder of the popular women's fiction site She Reads, where she and her co-founder express their belief that story is the shortest distance to the human heart. I like that. Uh, in Only Ever Her, it was supposed to be the perfect wedding until Annie Taft disappeared. And while loved ones tried to track her down, they were forced to grapple with their own secrets leaving them to wonder how well they really knew Annie and how well they knew themselves. It's uh, called Women's Psychological Fiction. And that leads us uh, to the next episode, uh, Philip Gerard, uh, which will release on October the 1st. Philip reads from and discusses his book, Cape Fear Rising, which was re-released this year on the 25th anniversary of its publication because it remains a story that needs to be told, especially in a time where there are places in this world where white supremacists are still on the march. Did you know that in 1898, black citizens held most of the city's government offices in Wilmington, North Carolina? And did you also know that a well-connected group of white citizens staged a bloody coup, fixing the 1898 election by threat and then killing and running many black citizens out of town? Now, there's some interesting storylines here uh, in the book itself, but also in Philip Gerard's own life that we talk about in this episode, uh, including how he almost lost his position as a professor at UNC Wilmington for having written the book, uh, which happened to include uh, 
many names of prominent citizens who could trace their ancestry to some of the white citizens who were involved in this bloody coup. Phillips, the author of five novels, eight works of nonfiction, and numerous essays on history, music, and writing craft. The next episode in season four, um, episode six, is with Amber Smith. It'll release on October the 8th. Amber is a New York Times bestselling uh, writer who, who writes stories about teenagers whose experiences reflect her own personal struggles while growing up. Her two previous novels earned her wide acclaim. Her first book, The Way I Used to Be, was a New York Times bestseller which addressed sexual assault with a young female protagonist. Amber is an advocate for increased awareness of gendered violence and LBGTQ equality. Uh, she reads from her third book, Something Like Gravity, which she hopes will encourage inclusion and acceptance. And she starts the show with a short reading from the opening of the book where we meet Chris, a young transgender male. All right, so Pam, you talked about the, there being a different side and, um, you know, this this poem that you're going to read is not a rosy picture of Charlotte. Uh, did this come to you overnight as part of this Beautiful Truth Project or is it something you'd been separating on for a while or how, how did this idea come to you this this poem it came pretty easily um, the people I mentioned in the poem are people that I was seeing every day literally every day um, so the woman with uh, the tent was next to my parking lot so I saw her twice every day you know spoke to her by name um, she knew my children, um, so it was a very personal relationship that I had with the people I mentioned in the poem. Hmm. So, the title of the poem? In Charlotte. A different Charlotte, so let's hear it. My brother, the poet, sleeps in a jail cell, caught just down the road from my sister's tent, solidly anchored to a parking lot fence, trying to sleep through the ruckus. Through the ruckus, a street preacher calls, Jesus saves, while righteous folks feed the unwashed, uncounted, who wander, sleep, collect, observe, are observed, living in public, known and yet not known at all. What kind of world have we got when we cannot feed the hungry out of the excess we waste? How can my conscience allow men to sort rancid garbage and sleep in crowded shelters because we don't pay them enough to live in a room with, that, with some comfort. My sister furnishes her tent with blankets from strangers, left behind objects, packets of tuna. She cares for people who ignore her in their rush, singing, praying for someone to open their eyes to the truth right in front of them. Right in front of them, my uncle studies Hebrew scripture, shares his love of learning with any who will listen, Booming bass tones preach peace while living nowhere. Shalom aleikum. Peace be unto you. Peace be unto you when you walk these city streets. We are not who we appear to be. Prisoners of our own perception or lack of perception of the wonder around us. Caught in the web we have spun. Now Pam, this piece... Um has a little notation at the end of it. It's in the Beautiful Truth uh, magazine that says, her poem reflects the family of people she meets working in Uptown Charlotte at Main Library. So 
Do you meet them in the library? Do you meet them walking to the library? Where do you, where do you have these encounters? Um, so two of the people, the poet and also the one studying Hebrew scripture, were people that had been in the library every day. Um, the um, lady with the tent was next to the parking lot where I parked every day. Mm. So you didn't just keep your head down and walk by, you actually engaged. She said an interesting thing to me when I started working there. I was in a kind of fragile circumstance myself. I was working a second job to try to transition from a job that wasn't working for me so well. Um, And she noticed me and spoke to me, and we got to be friends. And she said I was the first person that really spoke to her like a human being, Mm -hmm. that she, you know, was always friendly, but she didn't feel like people noticed her. Mm. That's great. Now, I've heard the street preacher before. Yeah. And he's got a pretty loud voice. Yeah, he's famous. <laughs> Jesus Jesus saves. Yeah, he's, he's all all around the square in front of the Panther Stadium and on Sundays. He's, he's an interesting fellow. What kind of world have we got when we cannot feed the hungry out of the excess we waste? That is a problem. And you see that in the real faces that you pass on a daily basis. Right, and I work in the Job Help Center, so I'm helping people who are living in the men's shelter or maybe living on the streets, literally. Um, some of them are also working people, and so they're you know, working but not able to earn enough to afford to live indoors. Now, these two pieces appear in Beautiful Truth, a gathering of voices from Charlotte, North Carolina. It was part of Charlotte's 2019 Beautiful Truth Initiative, and that involved uh, the library as well, because uh, a lot of these meetings were held in library spaces. Is that right? Right. How did that work? Um, it was a wonderful project to work together with Charlotte Lit. So we hosted the workshops, which were run by volunteers from Charlotte Lit, in different library branches. And that way we were able to capture a wide variety of Charlotte residents, um, people who may not have heard of Charlotte Lit before, and maybe people who also didn't think of themselves as writers, um, but came to these workshops. And lots of different topics, right? There were topics, uh, I think Serbia Years was one of the first ones in the magazine that painted a certain view of Charlotte from someone coming from outside, Pam, yours that you just read. But then there were were pieces about uh, the school system, about civil unrest after the killing of Keith Lamont Scott uh, about uh, you know being in a city which uh, was ranked uh, 50th among the 50 largest U.S. cities for upward mobility of its poor citizens and uh, and then you were getting other stories from people about when they went to high school at a school that's no different that is much different today than it was when they when they grew up here so it says here um, in the introduction that there were 200 community members who joined Charlotte at 11 different branches of Charlotte Mecklenburg Library. That sounds like a pretty uh, pretty successful program to get that many people in to, to do some writing. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and where did y'all participate? Did you, were you in Serbia? I was one of the facilitators. And okay. uh, to, to answer your question, I think the prompts, they were, they were great. They get, got people off to a starting place and they really wanted to dig in deeper, much mm-hmm. deeper. I saw that the writing that came out of the two, three prompts that we did in every session, people got, we got some really powerful writing out of people. 
Well, I had a chance to catch up with Kathy Collins, who's a Charlotte co-founder and co-director of this project, and she had this to say. In January of 2019, nearly 200 community members joined Charlotte Lit at 11 different branches of the Charlotte Mecklenburg Library for a program geared towards sharing our personal stories. Stories about identity, community, and particularly stories about living in Charlotte, the community we all call home. We called this program Beautiful Truth and took it beyond our doors as a way of bringing new voices into a conversation that's been going on at Charlotte Lit since we opened in 2016. That question is, what role can literature and writing play in healing the cultural divides within the greater Charlotte community? We decided to create a forum, a space in which people from all over the area could come together to write and share their personal experiences of life in this community. You might ask, why write? Why not just get together to talk, just tell each other our stories? This is what I know about writing. Writing enables us to think more clearly, to reflect more deeply, to discern the difference between superficial facts and and opinions or our own beautiful truth. Now, I know that uh, this magazine is available in digital form at the Charlotte Lit website, um, which you can find um, at charlottelit.org. The the link for that is going to be in the show notes. There's a lot of other great information about this episode today that will be in the show notes. So let's do this. Let's shift for a moment. We're going to go to uh, mention the authors who are in uh, episode seven, eight, and nine coming up in season four. And then after that, we're going to take a short break. So let's do that. Uh, on October 15th, we've got uh, Scott Hewler. It was another live podcast that we did. This one was at the Charlotte Museum of History in July. Scott uh, reads and discusses his book, A Delicious Country. Rediscovering the Carolinas along the route of John Lawson's 1700 expedition. And who is John Lawson, you might ask? Well, he was a young English gentleman who left home in 1700 looking for adventure and who nine years later, uh, after his quest for knowledge, published a very popular book at the time called A New Voyage to the Carolinas. He landed in Charleston where he began his two-month trip through the backcountry, much of it along the old trading path which ran north and south. You might know it now as... Tryon Street in Charlotte, North Carolina. Scott is not a licensed surveyor like Lawson was, more a surveyor of words, and why he decided to travel by canoe and then foot along that same 1700 route is the subject of his book, and we had a great discussion about what he saw along the way many hundreds of years later. The eighth episode in the season, which will release on October the 27th, uh, features Barbara Johnson and Roger Kohlberg. Um, They are two award-winning writers of the Charlotte Writers Club writing contests, Barbara Johnson uh, for her nonfiction work and Roger Kohlberg for his short stories. We start with Roger reading his award-winning piece called At the Pond, where the main characters are the animals. Barbara's first read is from her memoir in progress, an excerpt from her award-winning piece Five Lies, about a young Barbara whose father won't buy her the shoes she needs for school. Contest judge Michael Chitwood called it a rich and wonderfully detailed account of the pain and joy of innocent belief. They read several other pieces uh, during the show, and we talk about uh, their writing, including talking about Barbara Johnson growing up in a sharecropping family uh, and being one of ten children and then uh, being the only and first one to uh, go to college. She graduated, uh, received a sociology degree, and now she's writing. 
The ninth episode in season four features John Buchan. John is the author of Code of the Forest, where we find ourselves at the intersection of good old boy politics and an attack on the free press. Uh, in John's novel, a powerful South Carolina senator works hard to take down publisher Wade McNabb's small-town newspaper after a story he prints exposes high-level political corruption. And to fend off that threat, McNabb forms an uneasy relationship with young lawyer Kate Stewart, and together they put everything on the line to protect the newspaper's confidential source in a lawsuit that could bring ruin to both of them. It's a nice connection between political thriller and legal thriller. Uh, and the first sentence of the book starts out with the antagonist, I love this name, Senator Buck Ravenel. He's hunkered in the chill of the low country dawn, pondering ducks and politics. John's a Charlotte lawyer and brings his four decades of experience representing newspapers and broadcasters uh, to bear uh, in, this, uh, in this nice book set in uh, South Carolina. All right, when we come back, we're going, we're going to have some more readings. Uh, we're going to have a story, uh, an essay that I wrote. We're going to have uh, some more readings from Pam and Serby. We're going to talk about uh, writing life. We're going to talk about writing workshops. We're going to talk about uh, more authors that will appear in Season 4. So stay with us. With co-founder Kathy Collins. How are you doing, Kathy? I'm good, Landis. Thanks for coming to Lit today. Yeah, so you've got this uh, lineup that's coming. But first, how many, how many years have you all been at this? We've been at it three. We're starting our fourth year of programming. And you got some big names coming this year as teachers? We really do. We've got a great season. Start off with Jennifer Chang. We have fiction writer, novelist uh, Wiley Cash coming, North Carolina poet Jackie Shelton Green, and U.S. poet laureate Joy Harjo will be here in April, which is super exciting. Well, those are really talented writers. So how many classes this year? We have more than 40, and they're for readers and writers. And we cover all the genres, including poetry, memoir, Fiction, nonfiction, business of writing classes, and classes in culture and creativity. Yeah, I've taken both the craft and the business-related classes, and it's really a good way to work on your craft and your marketing. But uh, So what's this thing called writing immersion you'll do? Yeah, so this year we have developed um, uh, some writing immersions, which are a way to go even deeper into your craft. And these are multi-class courses. Uh, most of them are six weeks, some of them are four weeks. And with, um, we've got them in, in memoir, novel, nonfiction, and creative writing. So creative writing immersion just uh, is an overview of all the different forms of, of creative writing. And you got this thing called Author's Lab and Pen to Paper. What are those? Okay, so Author's Lab is a year-long uh, program for, for people who want to write a novel um, or a memoir, a full-length book start in January and you end in December with a, a completed rough draft. And Pen to Paper is um, a weekly program, Wednesday mornings, 9.30 to 10.30, free, open to the public. It's a great chance to come in and get a, a prompt, a mini lesson, a prompt, write with the community, share your voice with others. And that's also in the same space where members can come at any time and write. It sure is. Studio uh, 2? Studio 2, room 208, uh, open studio. What's, what's the website? charlottelit.org. It'll be in the show notes. Kathy, thank you. Thank you, Landis. Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Okay, listeners, we're back with Serby Kosick and Pam Turner. We've been uh, we're talking about Beautiful Truth Project and a couple of pieces that... Uh, they wrote that appeared in that uh, digital magazine. And speaking of truth in writing, this next piece, well, I know it's true because I experienced it (laughs) 
and then I wrote it. The setup here is it's an essay. It tells a story about how I became a lawyer and then later hoped to become a storyteller. It's called Two Good Swings. It's published in Exploring, which is an anthology that uh, Randall Jones is the editor of. Randall was an author um, who appeared in season two of this podcast, and he's put together these uh, nice anthologies of North Carolina and Kentucky writers. Uh, the first one was Bearing Up. The second one is Exploring. They tie into uh, the, at least the Exploring one ties into the discoveries, challenges, and adventure uh, that relate to Daniel Boone. He's a, he knows a lot about Daniel Boone, written a lot of books about him. And so I had a piece that I wrote, as I said, called Two Good Swings, it appeared in that anthology, and Randall has actually started a podcast called The Six-Minute Podcast. So if you don't like my hour-long podcast, <laughs> and you can only handle six minutes at a time, how about that, Pam? You get a six minutes? It's good. <laughs> yeah. Good work. Hey, hey Randall, I'm going to get you some listeners here to this Six-Minute Podcast right now. Uh, so if you only can spare six minutes, uh, this is a great podcast to listen to. This story that we're going to play here now uh, appears the first episode in that podcast. And what Randall's doing is he's actually reading these little pieces that appeared in these anthologies as part of the six-minute podcast. So, without anything else, here you go. Two Good Swings by Landis Wade. In the fictional movie Little Big Man, Dustin Hoffman played 121-year-old Jack Crabb a white man with a remarkable but hard-to-believe life story set against the backdrop of the great American West. Jack was only 10 years old in 1859 when his family was murdered and the Cheyenne captured him. A few years later, the white boy turned Indian was captured again, this time by the U.S. Army. Jack didn't know where he belonged or who he wanted to be as he comically and tragically stumbled from one occupation to the next. He first tried apprenticing to a snake oil salesman until the tar and feathers led him to become a gunslinger who couldn't shoot straight. General store owner, town drunk, mule skinner, and cavalry scout for General George Armstrong Custer rounded out Jack's idiosyncratic career, where in the end Jack became the only white survivor at the Little Bighorn before he returned to the Cheyenne. My life has not been so cinematic. But like Jack Crabb, in search of his calling, I had a decision to make in 1979, and I didn't have a clue as to how to make it. After graduating from a respected liberal arts college with a degree in history, all I had to do was decide what to do with my life. I suffered as the only young person in the free world flustered by the question, the only boy who couldn't figure out how to become a man. I was jealous of friends who had planned ahead and knew exactly what they wanted to be. Me? I hadn't planned ahead. I made decent grades, walked across the graduation stage and looked up to stare into the unknown, trying to understand a world where they no longer handed out a syllabus and gave you graded feedback. I experienced a culture shift called adulthood. And for the next 12 months of my life, which I kiddingly told my friends was my long-planned year off, I did one thing after the other, tasting jobs like they were different flavors of candy, never settling on one that tasted any good. I became Little Big Man. Sure, I was not captured, recaptured, or tarred and feathered, but it felt like it. 
I had to find a job, one with a purpose. In the meantime, any job would do. My first job was a two-month internship at a government think tank. But after I completed my first assignment in one week, I got a disapproving lecture from a career bureaucrat. My work was fine. What was wrong was that the project was supposed to last all summer. Disillusioned, I watched grass grow on the taxpayer-funded lawn outside my window for the next seven weeks, at which point I had to get outside. I took a construction job working for $2.25 an hour with a crew that didn't think much of education. My on-site boss, without a high school degree, called me college boy every time he had me fetch something. In Little Big Man, Jack Crab walked blindly from one job to the next, which was how I fell into a series of jobs that didn't require a college degree. Much like a snake oil salesman, I tried to unload coupon books on unsophisticated consumers. With the panache of a general store owner and cavalry scout, I waited tables for hungry customers and delivered furniture to hard-to-find places. When I became depressed, I didn't buy a gun like Jack the Gunslinger, but I did buy enough six-packs to make Jack the Town Drunk proud. I plodded from job to job like a mule being poked by a mule skinner until I ended up, once again, doing manual labor on a construction site. And that is when it happened. At about 6.45 a.m. one morning, the ground was frozen solid and the temperature was in the single digits. My task was to drive a steel stake into the ground with a sledgehammer. After several whacks, I was getting nowhere. So I took a big arching swing with one arm, holding the stake with the other hand. It was the swing that changed my life for more than three decades. I missed the stake and hit my thumb. And right then and there on a cold and frosty morning, I made up my mind. I would become a lawyer, not to change the world, not to make a difference, but because it was better than the alternative. This decision to become a lawyer was the right call. It allowed me to grow up and to do some good. But after 35 years, it's time for me to take another swing, and this time, if all goes well, it will lead to a tale about a lawyer turned storyteller who lived to be 121 years old. Copyright 2019, Landis Wade. Landis Wade is a recovering trial lawyer, author, and producer host of Charlotte Reader's podcast. His third book, The Christmas Redemption, won the holiday category in the 12th Annual National Indie Excellence Awards. He won the 2016 North Carolina State Bar Short Story Contest for the deliberation and received awards in 2017 and 2018 for nonfiction pieces The Cape Fear Debacle and First Dance. Shelby appeared in the 2018 Personal Essay Publishing Project Anthology, Bearing Up. For you listeners who are writers out there, um, they're going to do another uh, anthology, and this time the theme is going to be that southern thing, living, loving, laughing, loathing, and leaving the South. Uh, you can find out more about uh, this, uh, and by the way, the deadline for that is December 15th of 2019.
the limits on these, they're, they're about uh, 750, 800 words. They um, fit nicely into a six-minute podcast. Uh, you can submit um, at the website. I'll have the information about the website uh, in the show notes for this episode, so check it out if you're interested in submitting to, to be in the next uh, anthology and possibly end up having your work read on a podcast. So, All right, now we're going to shift uh, here before we get some more readings from Serbia and Pam uh, to the authors who are going to appear uh, in episodes 10, 11, and 12 of season four. Uh, in episode 10, we have Frank Morelli. Uh, Frank uh, is a middle school teacher who's having to go back to school now and teach, but whose writing talent led him to write his well-received debut novel, No Sad Songs, about a teenager forced by the death of his parents to look after a grandfather suffering severe dementia. In addition to reading uh, and discussing No Sad Songs, Frank discusses uh, his essay about the death of his grandfather and introduces us to the first book in his recently published middle school series. He's a Philadelphia native. Uh, His life was transformed, he says, when he accepted a teaching fellowship in the New York City public schools and discovered that a lifetime spent earning cafeteria tater tots would be a small price to pay for a chance to shape the future. Our 11th uh, episode of the season features author Tim Reinhardt. Tim is the author of Jesus Brother James. And no, this is not a book about Jesus' real brother James. There's a character in the book who is a down-and-out priest who befriends a man who could look the part of Jesus' brother James. The priest passes the man off as the Messiah's brother to another man who has lost the will to live. And this leads to a quest by four characters to find meaning in their lives with the help of the mysterious, religious-looking man who speaks only Aramaic. In addition to reading and discussing the book, Tim discusses his short film work, and we listen to a few scenes from those films. Jesus' Brother James is Tim Reinhardt's second novel. He's a veteran of the pharmaceutical industry, a drug dealer by trade. Uh, He's traveled the world, and uh, that's sort of helped shape his perspective. He, He likes writing these comedies that involve dramatic settings uh, and likes playing with the contrast uh, between genres. Uh, he had an award, uh, an Academy Award qualifying film called Crackers, and that's the one we'll play a few scenes from uh, on, the, on the podcast. Episode 12 of the podcast, which releases on November the 19th, features author Laura King Edwards. Laura is the author of Run to the Light, a story of her life after she learned a few weeks following her wedding that Taylor, her young sister, had a rare disease for which there was and is no cure. With her mother and family friends, Laura founded a charity in an effort to save children with the disease, and she came closer to Taylor and her mother. And Taylor didn't quit, and when the disease took her sight, Taylor wanted to run with Girls on the Run, and she completed her first race blind. Laura was inspired by Taylor, and Laura, being a lifelong runner herself, began running in half marathons to raise money and awareness, and eventually... She put on a blindfold and ran for Taylor. And Laura's now running in all the states and hopes to complete runs in all 50 states before too long. Uh, she's a prolific storyteller. She's frequently talked about her journey and delivered a TEDx talk in 2017. It's a, it's a, a very moving uh, episode. Pam, you've got a poem, uh, another poem that you wrote um, that ties in a bit to the course, Write Like You Mean It. Uh, because uh, it focuses on one of the 
one of the participants in that class. Is that right? Right. Tell, tell us about uh, Scott. So Scott Anderson was a poet who lived in a tent for as long as I knew him uh, near the Sugar Creek Greenway. And he was at Main Library every day. Um, he had a brain injury that made him not always know what day it was. It affected his memory. So whenever I saw him, he would ask if it was Thursday, if <laughs> we were meeting today. <laughs> he, he so wanted it to be Thursday. He wanted it to be Thursday. and uh, that's, that's wonderful. He would say we should meet every day and yeah. things like that. He <laughs> loved the writing. He was a natural poet. Everything he wrote rhymed. I mean, he couldn't write a piece that didn't rhyme. Mm. It just was in his blood. Um, so what's the title of this piece? This piece is called A World Without the Possibility of Scott. Um, we lost him um, April 5th this year um, to a you know tragedy, and uh, it really affected our writing community at Main Library and also a larger community of homeless folks in Uptown that knew him. Mm. All right, well, please share that with us. Glad to. I woke up in a new world today, a world without a possibility of you, where by grace I am still breathing and eating and typing poetry, but it will never rhyme or sparkle like you. No river of tears will wash your face from my eyes. No outpouring of words will cleanse me of this need to tell you just how many times your hug changed a day. How many days your poem moved the room. I woke up today in a world without you and remembered that your every day was without so much, empty of comforts, while full of praise for the kindness of strangers, for the sun rising another day, for me. You were grateful for me and told everyone how you wished every day was Thursday, and we laughed at the improbability of that ever coming true. And Thursday will surely come, but it won't have you. I woke up today in a world where money can buy almost everything, but it cannot buy a Scott. It cannot undo that savagery that took you to your home on high. It cannot make a Thursday as perfect as you. I woke up today and cannot. Pam, that's a beautiful tribute uh, to Scott. Um, feel like I know a little bit more about him, <laughs> having listened listened to your poem. And uh, you know, uh, we had Maureen Ryan Griffin on the show last week, and we talked about writing a lot, and we talked about what writing can give to people, what it can do for people. Um, I sense that this. Uh, that writing this for you allowed you to continue to connect with Scott. Yeah, surely. Yeah, and and reading it again, although it's hard, it brings back good memories. Definitely, yeah. Yeah. So why can't everybody every day just be Thursday? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so speaking of Thursdays, before we run move to a, a reading by survey here let's talk about right like you mean I, I love that title i mean let's get after it right <laughs> <laughs> who came up with that 
I did. You did? I spend a lot of time trying to name things because I feel like the name can kind of make it be what you want it to be, you know? In the beginning, it's nothing. Um, But I wanted it to have a name that was catchy, that that had some power to it, you know, that hopefully inspired people to want to just come see what it is. Well, my uh, my son played high school baseball, and he had a coach. Uh, you know, he had this saying, you know, you should play like your hair's on fire. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe you should write like your hair's on fire, too. <laughs> Just get it out there. Right? right. Yeah. Write like you mean it, right? Absolutely. Write like you mean it. So how many people come to this class that you have? Uh, in the beginning, it was me and one or two or three other people. It's kind of like we... a podcast when you start. There's <laughs> <laughs> right. Like one or two other people. Uh, right. Yeah. Um, I mean, now we have 10 or 12 or sometimes 15 or 16 people. So we usually have a full room mm-hmm. of folks now. And you do this at the main branch, right? Main library every Thursday yeah. at 10 a.m. So anybody's welcome to come? Anybody is welcome. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a lot of serious writers who make time in their week to be there. So mm-hmm. it's an interesting crew of people, probably the most diverse writing group in Charlotte. Are you trying to tell me something that I should be I should be coming back? Come on like over. <laughs> We'd I've love to couple, have you. I've been a couple of times, and I like it. I'm just trying to make my schedule work, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's great. Um, and I have enjoyed the class because you do get something different each time for people right. to work on and do. So, Serby, you've been in this class since you got to Charlotte, right? Yes. And you've been attending as well. And wh- what do you get out of a class like that? Okay, I also help in planning uh, yeah. all the prompts that we do. And I want to add to what Pam said, that yeah. we, it's more than what ju- we just meet in that room and write. We do a lot of fun things, like we go on field trips. Oh. We go to First Ward Park and write. We go to the museum. We get inspired by the paintings, oh. by uh, poetry on the walls. We did that one time. We do a lot of other things. We took the streetcar and we went to see... The CPCC poets hmm. doing sensoria. So, you, so, we so do you're a lot coming of up with ideas and prompts, but also y'all both participate as well when you do yes, this, right? So because yes. it feeds your desire to write. Yeah, it, it, uh, a lot of pieces which are published for me start on Thursday at Write Like You Mean It. Ah, so the yeah. the group of writers, the energy in the room is very inspiring for me. It helps me to come up with a lot of new ideas, and it strengthens my writing. Hmm. Now, you have a lot of different writing group opportunities, and I'm going to leave links in the show notes for uh, how to get to uh, Write Like You Mean It and also how to find the page that has information about these different groups. But uh, in addition to Write Like You Mean It, there are writer groups at uh, different branch libraries. Right, I've got Bayes Ford, Independence Library. There's a poetry club out there as well. There's something called Prolific Pens Writing Group at Mint Hill Library. How many, how many different writing groups do you have, Pam? I'm not sure I know the exact number. I'm going to guess we've got about 10 or more. There were some new groups that were spurred by the Beautiful Truth Initiative. Mm -hmm. So some of the locations that had not had writing groups before started them after the Beautiful Truth programs, um, seeing that there was such an overwhelming interest in writing. Mm -hmm. There's a variety of groups also. So by going to that Resources for Writers page on cmlibrary.org, you can see some of the variety of groups. Some of them are critique groups where um, the participants are submitting work in advance that'll be read and discussed there. Mm-hmm. Um, my group, Write Like You Mean It, is a creative group, so there's no preparation needed. It's a drop-in. You know, you do whatever we're doing that day, and there are a few other groups like that. Um, it really depends on what the writer's looking for 
And then we're also including some writing workshops that address people who are further along in their writing. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the workshops. You mm-hmm. can also find an addition, just, if you just didn't want to take, if you didn't want to go to the course over and over again, you can go to one workshop here and there on different topics. You do one for indie authors in the fall, and then you do some other things as well, right? Right. We have Indie Author Day coming on Saturday, October 12th. That's an opportunity for authors to learn about self-publishing and make connections with editors and publishers and learn from people who've been successful with self-publishing what they did, you know, what were the things they learned along the way. Mm. So that's um, a very popular event every year, and it's going to be even bigger this year. Great. Lots of opportunity. All right. uh, Serby, speaking of uh, writing, um, one of the things that writers sometimes do to get ideas and energy for writing is walking and you've got a piece entitled the joy of walking right yes could you share that with us sure i'd be happy to the joy of walking in every walk with nature one receives more than he seeks this quote by john moore explains my joy for walking walking amidst nature is one of the most therapeutic things for a tired body unstressed mind. It is probably one of the most ancient forms of exercise, my personal favorite. A walk is the perfect medicine for me when I want to get rid of the fatigue for the day. Walks at any time of the day never fail to inspire me to write or help me release writer's block when I'm struggling to complete a piece. It is not always possible to walk in the midst of nature, but for me, even a row of trees greeting me counts as a nature walk. Looking at the cottony clouds floating above me, feeling the breeze brushing against my skin, the chirping of birds and the pretty spring blossoms adoring the branches of the trees, all of this makes my heart happy in a way that nothing else can. Google tells me that the benefits of walking are abundant for my body. It not just helps me burn calories, strengthens the heart, boosts energy, and lowers blood sugar, among other advantages. For me, the benefits it has on lifting my spirits or calming me after a tension-filled day is enormous. Early morning walks empower me in a unique way. Knowing that a brisk walk coupled with some quiet reflection time and fresh sunlight coming my way is a beautiful feeling. Basking in this golden hour makes a great start for my day, filling it with an extra dose of energy. Evening walks have a special charm of their own. It captures my day as I walk in quiet silence, my mind winding down along with my body. I love watching the soothing hues spread across the expanse of the sky the birds flying home to their eager babies and warm nests, the sun ready to sink into rest after working all day. My evening walks bring with them a meditative quality, helping my mind relax after a busy day. With every walk that I take, I discover more joy. So, Serby, you love Charlotte, and you're full of joy when you walk. <laughs> <laughs> you're just a happy person, right? <laughs> I try. I try to count my blessings. <laughs> yeah, you do. And not look at the ugly side all the, you know. That's great. And I can avoid um, it. No, I like this uh, where you said Google tells me about the benefits of walking. Our doctors probably do that too. Yeah. Right? yeah. I, I walk every morning. Um, 
with my two dogs. They're both rescues. They're named Gus and Lori um, after characters from Lonesome Dove, one of my favorite books. <laughs> Augustus McRae and Lori Darlin. But, you know, when you walk with dogs, it's kind of like, uh, you, know, you know, stop, pull, drag, stop, pull, drag. It's not quite the same as yeah. walking out. But I, I, I enjoy that, so it, it's good. Anyway, I'm with you on the walking. So now we're going to shift to the um, final poem here by Pam. And, Pam, the title is? Wait, please. Wait, please. We can't wait any longer. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's hear it. Please wait. Please know my pause is not the beginning or the end or even part of this conversation. Just keep talking, walking with me. Let me remember how it always was, how it will be again, please. Your voice calms my storm. The flash of your eyes casts light on a secret story yet to be revealed. There is liberation in each laugh that escapes tenderness in the way your hand misses meeting mine. Nature herself left powerless to intervene. Breeze caressing our ears. Please wait. Please. Not a drop of language is spilled from our shared bowl as the distance becomes harder to span. Leaving space for wonder, for promise, precious space that waits for notes to fill in, for melody, for harmony. Please wait. Please know that the waiting, the pause, the held space is the very hymn calling forth majesty. Please wait. So Pam, you said this is going to appear um, in an upcoming journal, is that right? It's an anthology called Cackalac that mm-hmm. is a collection of writings from Carolina authors. Mm. And, and you wrote this piece when? This spring. Yeah. And where do you like to write? Where were you when you wrote it? Ah, uh, where was I when I wrote it? Probably at home, probably very early morning. I do a lot of writing in the pre-dawn hours when do you like to write, Serby? I'm a morning person too, mm-hmm. but it's not possible every time. But whenever I find time, and Thursday in the writing group, definitely yes. So, Serby, what did you see in this poem? I think uh, if you look beyond the you know the simplicity of the words, there's a powerful message. For me, it tells me to enjoy the existing moment. That's how I look at it. Mm-hmm. It speaks to voices calming. Uh, the storm, it almost wants me to ask uh, Pam, you know, whose voice? Someone's laughing, someone's speaking. But then nature kind of weaves its way in. Right. right. So, uh, a little bit of a mystery here. This came from a walk with a friend around um, 7th Street Market, um, where it was just that kind of feeling of, um, like she said, like kind of treasuring the moment and the things that are not said, you know, when you're in a conversation um, that sometimes the part that's left unsaid is as important as what is said. And um, that idea also of the fragility of um, our, you know, human existence and our human relationships. Yeah, because sometimes perhaps with someone or some space that you don't know as well, you, you get uncomfortable. Mm. with the silence right right but for 
that person that can sit or that space that you can sit in where there's some familiarity just being is okay mm-hmm. well it's it's nice and what's also nice are the authors that we have in season four and I'm going to wrap it up with that part of this show by telling you about uh, the last two episodes of season four which feature two lawyers now don't run away because these lawyers are really good writers and uh, I want you to hear about them the first is Charles Oldham Charles is the author of The Senator's Son, a turn-of-the-century true crime mystery set on the Outer Banks of North Carolina. Uh, It's going to release on November the 26th. It's a very interesting story. Um, It's also interesting as to how Charles decided to write about it. But uh, on Monday, February 13th in 1905, eight-year-old Kenneth Beasley, the son of a state senator, walked to the back of his school playground near the cold woods and swamplands of Currituck County, and never returned. A year later, a political rival of Kenneth's father was arrested and forced to endure a show trial of star lawyers in the state, spectators, and newspaper reporters that helped invent the phrase yellow journalism. After the verdict and the surprising aftermath, author Charles Oldham reopened the case using modern research methods and his legal training to offer his own theory about what really and truly happened in this tragedy that ripped families apart and shocked the state. Um, it's his first published book. He's the son of a community college professor and a math teacher, which he thinks helped instill in him this natural curiosity and a love for writing. And finally, in season uh, four, Philip Lewis. Uh, Philip is the author of The Barrowfields, which he reads and discusses in the concluding episode of season four. Uh, North Carolinian and New York Times best-selling author Ron Rash describes this book as beautifully written and deeply moving and says that Philip is a very talented writer uh, with a debut that deserves a wide and appreciative readership. The book is full of literary allusions that might be easy to miss, a bit like being on a treasure hunt. The town of Old Buckram, for example, Uh, which is the place where the book is set, comes from the word buckram, a type of coarse linen that is stiffened with glue and used to make book covers. Philip's idea was to have the story take place in old buckram, which is to say, within the covers of an old book. Now, Philip is a Charlotte attorney who was born and raised in West Jefferson in the mountains of North Carolina, uh, a little more than a stone's throw away from the Virginia and Tennessee lines and not far from the mythical town of old buckram where the characters disappear and evolve in his novel. Uh, His novel has been uh, printed and published in the United States, uh, United Kingdom, Poland, Italy, the Netherlands, and France, uh, and it has a German edition that is going to be coming out this fall. So that's that's season four. We're going to have 14 episodes. As I said, 18 fantastic authors. Uh, We had some really good conversations. We delve into their writing lives. We talk about uh, what got them uh, focused and obsessed with their topics and their books and uh, I had a a great time interviewing these authors and I I think you can enjoy uh, each of these episodes. Okay Pam and Serby we're about to wrap it up. Before we do I've got a couple of uh, writing life questions for you. I'll give you a fill in the blank and uh, you know have at it to Pam. I write because fill in the blank. 
I think because I have to. <laughs> mm -hmm. Not not because you're it's, not because you have to. It work because you have to I'm, because it feeds you in some way. Yeah, I'm. I use my writing as a way to really understand myself and and what's going on around me. Mm. Um, so I really feel compelled. It's kind of a way of telling the story to myself. How about you, Serby? Why do you write? Because that's what I do best. Mm. Better than anything else? Better than anything else. Okay. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> that's good. When was the first time you felt like you could call yourself a writer, Serby? When I was in, back in elementary school. Yeah? Yes. I always called myself a writer. Yeah. What did you do in elementary school? Uh, to? I used write? to write poetry. I was published in local papers. And my paternal grandfather, my dad's dad, he was a writer himself. Mm. And he used to motivate me and inspire me and say, like, no, you can do this. You can write and submit. So I was doing this. That's great. You got encouragement early on. Yes, I did. How about you, Pam? You went off track with the music and ended up in writing, or were you doing both <laughs> together? <laughs> so I always knew I had a talent for writing, but I didn't ever really enjoy it, probably until um, as an adult um, I used it again, as a way just to express myself, express, you know, frustrations or strong emotions, a way to kind of understand myself. How do you balance writing with the rest of your life? Mm. Um, when I started really writing seriously, I was, I had very small kids, and so I was writing when I was waiting to pick them up or mm -hmm. stuck somewhere, you know, a kid's asleep and you're stuck somewhere for a few minutes. Um, so I just always had paper with me. Um, now I might write on the train or I might be writing, um, like I said, early morning. Sometimes I wake up at, you know, 3 o'clock in the morning and I can't sleep and I'll go write something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How about you, Serby? So for me, uh, it's hard to find time sometimes, though I, I'm not, I don't have a job and all of that. But uh, journaling, definitely, when I'm not writing to be published, I journal a lot. Mm. So it kind of keeps the pace going for me. I just had uh, the opportunity to visit one of the most famous sites in the world where a journal was written um, in Amsterdam, the, the Anne Frank House. Mm -hmm. And it's a very moving experience mm -hmm. um, to think about being trapped, um, you know, in a small room for a two-year period. Mm -hmm. But uh, this young woman, who young girl who's growing into a woman, you know, she used journaling as, as a way out, you know, to the walls didn't hold her in when she picked up her pen to write. I thought that was a powerful message. So um, I guess one final question. Um, Serby, how has your writing journey shaped your life? Oh, my God, that's heavy. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say this is going to be easy. It's very similar to what Pam said. I think it helps me understand myself, even when I write fiction, because those characters are created by me. So it kind of gives me a deeper insight into myself. Yeah, Pam, you've already talked about this a little bit, um, but writing is all around you when you're not at work, but then when you are at work as, as well. And you got all those books, too. That's you're, true. You're staring at, right? So writing has become a part of your journey. It, it really has. Um, and when I was writing just for myself, I had a friend who encouraged me to apply for an Arts and Science Council grant. So about 10 years ago, I had a grant and produced a book of poetry. And that was a very powerful experience just to see how um, 
difficult that was mm-hmm. and how mm-hmm. long of a process it is from the initial thought to the production of a book. Um, and honestly, it was such a hard process. I thought I would never do that again. That I was, <laughs> right. I really never intended to produce a book. And then just only this year have um, written so many pieces that tied together in the same theme that I've decided to produce another book this great. year. Great. Look yeah. forward to it. All right. Well, we, we've been having such a good time today reading and talking and lots of different phases of the writing lives of both you and the people that attend uh, write like you mean it. So uh, we're going to have to call it a day. Uh, and people are going to be able to find out about you a little bit more in the show notes, as I said, and links there to the Charlotte McMurray Library and to the classes. So if any listeners out there who want to get started with something a little unique, they can try out Write Like You Mean It or some of the other courses that Charlotte McMurray Library has. And uh, with that, I want to thank both of y'all for being on the show. Thank, thank you for having us. Yeah, yeah my pleasure. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to their written words. Please don't forget our sponsors, Park Road Books and Charlotte Mecklenburg Library. Links to our five sponsors and their resources are on the webpage and in the show notes. Charlotte Readers Podcast and host Landis Wade are grateful to you for listening to this show. If you like the show, please leave a short written review on Apple Podcasts, also known as iTunes, or the podcast platform of your choice, because your review helps authors share their stories with more listeners. Thank you for your support. You can find out more about us and our sister shows at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Charlotte Readers Podcast is available on social media, on Facebook at Charlotte Readers Podcast, on Twitter at Charlotte Reader, on Instagram and on LinkedIn at Landis Wade. Until next week, I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast. <laughs>